Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Vic with a quick note. This episode contains strong language and discussion of suicide. Please be advised. In three, two, one. John, let's start with 9-11. Um, where were you that day? I was actually on a job site, Carrier Circle, Syracuse, New York. I was suspended from school at the time. Uh, at any time I'd get suspended, my dad would put me to work. And I was up on a roof, tarring a roof with a construction crew. I remember somebody came up and said, hey, you got to get downstairs. And they had it on the TV and they said a plane just hit the towers. And everybody standing there watched the second plane hit the towers and I remember there was a, a veteran on the work crew. He was a Desert Storm veteran. When he was muttering, he's like, I don't want to go back. <laughs> he already knew. He's like, we're, we're going. I mean, immediately. We're going oh, to war. Oh, we're going to go to war. The call to arms following the September 11th attacks would prompt John Evans to join the military when he was still only 17 years old. In 2002, Almost immediately after completing his training, John would be on the ground in Iraq. Enlisting to fight in the war on terror gave John purpose and focus after enduring a difficult childhood. But what he experienced in war would only add trauma and send him spiraling into addiction and mental health problems. John's story says a lot about the battles veterans face even after fighting for their country and how we should never give up or lose hope. I'm Vic Vela. I'm a journalist, a storyteller, and a recovering drug addict. And this is Back From Broken from Colorado Public Radio. Stories about the highest highs, the darkest moments, and what it takes to make a comeback. My conversation with John was recorded during a live event we hosted to talk about veterans' issues in partnership with the American Homefront Project and the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Because of the pandemic, we spoke online, so you may notice some glitches from time to time. John Evans had a tough childhood. His parents were heavy drinkers and divorced when he was a kid. His mom was in and out of rehab. So growing up, John bounced around the country living with several different relatives. He spent a few of those years living with his grandfather, who would tell him stories of honor and glory from his military service in World War II. As the years passed, John's mother had gotten sober. She was clean for eight years by the time John was 14, until she relapsed the summer before John went into high school. In the midst of that relapse, John's mother fell down a flight of stairs. She was badly hurt and died from her injuries. You know, my mother's death was tragic. Her life before sobriety was also very tragic. And so the years of high school for me uh, were just riddled with substance abuse and uh, a lack of interest in school and you know, I was really steeped in smoking weed every day and, and drinking every weekend and anytime I could get my hands on it. And so I was pretty detached 
just in this kind of intoxicated state throughout high school. Were you hoping to break those habits when you joined the military? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I knew that my life was on a track towards probably jail or just nowhere. And I had a sense that if I did not do something, you know, my life was not going very far, very fast. And, and, and with 9-11 occurring and this kind of call to arms culminating with my inability to really do much with school, it made a lot of sense to me to go in. Gives you something to do. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, it'd feel good about. You know, I believed that we were doing the right thing. What was it like landing on the ground in Iraq? Culture shock. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm a kid from upstate New York, and within a couple of months, I'm pushing north through the country of Iraq with a degree of uncertainty that I had never ever experienced. While he was stationed at the Syrian-Iraqi border, John was a member of the ambulance platoon, responsible for carrying out ground medical evacuations. One day, there was an incident near the aid station that would be hard to forget. We were out in a small town called Rabia, out on the Syrian border, and we were attached with 1-3 Bandit Troop. It was kind of a normal day. We are gearing up for just the day, and I was sitting on the edge of my cot, and uh, get my boots on, and uh, and then there was a very loud explosion, and uh, it, it was it was close enough to kind of feel the reverberation, and almost immediately there was uh, some scrambling on the on the radio, and and they said unknown explosion, uh, thirty thirty dead times two wounded, and. Um, and those were numbers that I had not heard before. Um, you know, we just kind of got into gear and we started grabbing bags, jumped into to this larger two-ton truck. We were probably on the scene in a minute. Because this was really in a time in, in Iraq where there was a lot of people joining up for the Iraqi forces, police and army to, to stand up, you know, their own security forces. And uh, what was happening there was that the entire town had kind of gathered around to sign their kids up for the Iraqi army. And they were having kind of a recruitment thing going on. And, uh, and somebody walked into the middle of that crowd and, and, and um, uh, detonated a, a, a vest born ID. And, and that was a terrible scene. Absolutely horrific. I can remember stepping out of that truck and having a legitimate freeze response, uh, an overwhelming sense of kind of not being able to really compute what I was looking at. And uh, somebody called my name or something. I kind of snapped out of it and just, then we just got to work. Does anything stand out in particular for you about that scene? My lack of emotion around it, I think, was really what was remarkable to me, is that in the day, in that moment, I wasn't, I didn't feel moved by it. I just felt like, I felt nothing. I mean, I think you realize that you're in a combat zone and these things happen. Or at least that's what you tell yourself. It becomes work at that point, and just kind of learning to to shove that down and not deal with it 
as there's not really space or time or room to really process any of that stuff. And this was three months into my second deployment, you know, and so there would be nine more months and, and these things were happening every day, you know? And so it was like, this could happen again tomorrow. It's just another day. In 2006, after two tours in the Middle East, John went back home to Syracuse. But pretty soon, what he witnessed in Iraq started to catch up with him. Going about your business, doing your job, feeling numb to everything, did that catch up with you? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure it did. Yeah. By the time I got home, I mean, you know, I finished out that deployment with a lot of exposure to wounded and uh, and dead more civilians the second year. Um, and, and that, and that bothered me, I think a lot to see people that were just caught kind of in the middle. Um, and, uh, I think that me coming home quite disillusioned around, uh, what it was to serve, you know, what I thought we were Doing, you know, as a kid, so naive, you know, so naive to the way things work. And I was so angry and so bitter when I came home. You know, I'm not processing anything either, by the way. I mean, that's the whole other piece. It's like I'm having all these very heavy experiences and I'm not talking about them. I'm not processing anything. I am just drinking, 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 drinking. That's all I'm doing to cope. You know, I was just pouring booze on it and getting through it a night you know, and then do it again the next day. It was just really, I mean, it was just constantly out of control. John, you and I talked before tonight about how your experience in Iraq caused you to suffer a moral injury. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, I didn't know, I hadn't even heard the term moral injury until I started working at the VA a while ago. And, you know, I understood post-traumatic stress, I thought. I've learned a lot more about that as well. Um, but for me, uh, my experience lines up with more of like this idea that um, kind of steeped in the, the heritage and the tradition of, of military service and then to sign up as a young man to go and fight and be a part of this event with the uh, belief, true belief, that we were doing something good and to feel like, you know, very much lied to in a sense, you know, that I was fooled, you know, and bitter and angry about that, you know, and it becoming the reality of, of war. And I'd come home and people very close to me would say things like, you know, you really should be proud of your service. And I wasn't, hmm. you know at all. My relationship with my service became injurious, you know, knowing that I had taken part in something that I had fundamentally believed at the core of my being was wrong. It's hard. It's a hard thing to kind of square up and try to figure out like, well, where do I go from here? Trust me, I, I'd rather have the appreciation than the way that the Vietnam veterans were received. But the pendulum has swung, you know, it swung for the Vietnam vets where they became the scapegoats of the, the whole conflict. And then, you know, to the other 
side is they're like strangling us with a yellow ribbon. It's like, you know, back off <laughs> a little bit, you know. John spent the next several months continuing to abuse drugs and alcohol. He was blacking out almost every night. He crashed his car and got multiple DUIs. And the trauma he carried from his experiences in Iraq was really a heavy load. The, the real heavy stuff was the, the internal sense of disconnection and a feeling like uh, alone, a sense of, uh, the sense of loneliness was so pervasive that it began to, to wear on me to the point where I just, I just kind of hit a, a critical mass of emotional suffering. And, and I began to think about taking my own life. You know, that just seemed like a relief. It seemed like a way out. It seemed like that makes sense. And I was really fixated, like, oh, you weren't there. You weren't over mm. there. Like, and that, that narrative kept me very, very sick. This was a very dark period for John. During a blackout, he called his best friend and gave him a final goodbye. His friend was worried because he knew John had enough pills in the house to end his life. So he called John's dad, who rushed to his son's place with the police. They made it in time. John had passed out before he could take any pills. The next morning, John's father took him to the VA for help. And, uh... And I went in there and I was honest, you know, for the first time, yeah. <laughs> maybe ever. And I was just like, cause I wanted to, I want, I really wanted to get, I didn't want to, I, I knew I was close. I mean, I was, things were real dark. And, and so I just told the guy the truth, you know, and I said, this is how much I'm drinking. This is how much I'm using. I was doing a lot of cocaine at that time too. And this is how I'm feeling. Hmm. And they said, right this way. And they brought me <laughs> into this lock psychiatric unit right where I belonged. And I settled in for a few days, you know. And, you know, I was in there and I was convinced that I was ready to turn over a new leaf and I was, you know, I'm going to get sober and I'm going to be sober. I'm going to change my life. Just like that. How many days were you yeah. there? Uh, I was there about 10 days. And I stepped out of that hospital and I was drunk in four hours. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. uh, and that's, that's the hold it had on me. Yeah. You know, I had no clue, you know, I had zero comprehension of the grip that drinking and drugs had on me. I was deluded in the sense that I thought I was just going to be like, oh, I'm going to be sober now. I had never been sober before, you know, and just like, I thought I just, the, uh, ignorance, maybe just arrogance, ignorance yeah. to think that, oh, all of it, all I'll of do it, man. man. And so yeah. I stayed drunk for another 90 days. After the break, John finds himself on the other side of addiction, but facing a new struggle. Hey, it's Vic. I really appreciate you being a back from broken listener. It means a lot. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you take a moment to find Back From Broken on whatever podcast app you use, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and give us a like, a rating, and even a review? If you think what we're doing matters, if you think it's important to talk about recovery with compassion and hope, all you got to do to help spread the word is like, rate, or review this podcast. It really does help other people find Back From Broken. Thanks for listening. 
and thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio. After only 10 days in treatment, John felt that he had the tools and the will to get sober, so he walked out. But he was back to drinking again that same afternoon. John spent the 90 days following treatment living with a friend, another veteran who was studying to become a paramedic. John was spiraling out of control again, blacking out every night, drinking and driving and stumbling through their apartment, aggravating his roommate. On day 90, John's friend had had enough and they got into a fight. He kicked John out of the apartment. Fuming and still drunk, John began to pack his things. I remember being angry, just packing clothes and trash bags, you know, Alky suitcase, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and I stopped and I was drunk, but I, you know, for whatever, I had this kind of moment of clarity and I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. It landed that, that, uh, it's you, John, it's the drinking. It's, you know what I mean? It's just like, where, where are you going? Mm. You know, there's nowhere to go. And I've had up to this point, it's every problem in my life is directly related to substances, drinking. It's not as if I've been like on, you know, like just cruising along here. Like, I mean, every time I'm turning around, I'm getting in trouble for it. <laughs> and it's just like the final, it's just like, oh, one more time I'm dealing with something as a, as a direct result to my drinking. You know, another, you know, friendship loss, another, you know, just problem, every time problems. It's exhausting. Yeah, absolutely, it's exhausting. And, uh, and I remember just having kind of this emotional collapse in that moment and, mm. and realizing, you know, you, more or less you're going nowhere, you know, and you got to, you got to give it up. And, um, and the next morning I called the VA again and saw if I could get back in and they said, yeah, we get here Monday. We'll have a bed for you. And so, you know, I drank like I was going to rehab, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Get it hard. out of your yeah. yeah, hard. And um, <laughs> you know, and I drank every day till till that day. And and that day was uh July second, two thousand and seven, and I have not found it necessary to take a drink from that day to this. Or any other mood or mind altering substances. When you were in the hospital, what was different about this day? Yeah, this time I kind of just threw my hands up. You know, last time I had been in, I had my own ideas of how I was going to do the thing. You know, I had all these reservations. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So, I mean, right out of the gate. I mean, I'm making a, a plan for my life out of the psych ward. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> usually not that great. <laughs> you know, yeah, this, so we're going to do it my way. We're doing it my way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, pump the brakes a little bit, you know, <laughs> let the dust settle, you know. But I was ready to take over the world. <laughs> from the psych ward, you know? Anyways, this time I had, I was out of answers and they said the same thing they said to me the last time. They said, we think you should go inpatient. And uh, I said, okay, this time. And I went to Canadagua VA for 65 days mm -hmm. for dual diagnosis for PTSD and substance abuse. And uh, I ran into some other people who had found a solution and, and were staying sober. And they were sharing that solution with one another and sharing their experiences with one another. And banding together as a, as a crew 
of individuals who didn't want to drink or use drugs anymore. And, um, and I, and I fell in community. Totally. So, I mean, that was a, that was a relief to find some people that, you know, were seriously committed to a, to a path of sobriety and, 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 and showing up in that way and showing up for each other. And that was really the key. You know, you mm. say that's what changed. I was introduced to people. I was introduced to a community and, uh, and, and I felt for the first time in a long time, that connection, you know, mm. that, and, and I've heard it said, you know, connection is the cure. Connection is the cure to addiction. And, uh, and I believe that to be true. In the years since his treatment, John began to piece his life back together. He went to community college, met a girl, got married, and moved to Florida. John was sober and in recovery, but the trauma of what he experienced in Iraq still lingered, and his marriage began to fall apart. During couples counseling, the therapist asked John about his military service, about how he deals with what he experienced in Iraq. John began to cry uncontrollably. Even 10 years into recovery, he was still reckoning with the trauma of war. When his divorce was finalized in 2016, John went from Florida to Denver to leave his belongings with a friend and on to California after that to fight wildfires with the Forest Service for a season. John knew he still needed help, though. So when he got back to Denver, he made an appointment to see a psychiatrist at the VA and it led to a new career. So in my initial intake, the last thing I said in that interview was that I don't really know what I'm doing. I think I want to maybe give back, maybe become a counselor, therapist, something like that. And uh, she said, you know, there's this job here at the VA and you'd be like really good for it, you know? It's called peer support. And I was like, what's that? And she told me a description of the job. I said, that's a job? I could, that's like, you get paid to do that, you know? (laughs) And I was like, Man, sign me up. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And uh, for the last three years, I I spent uh, serving uh, at the Denver VA as a peer support specialist. That's incredible. I mean, that's you never know what happens in recovery. Um, you went in for therapy and you got a job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when did you first hear about PTSD or understand what it was? Uh, when they put a diagnosis on me at the VA when I first came. <laughs> there you go. So through this new job as a peer support specialist, you're you're talking to fellow soldiers, fellow veterans about their problems, you know, kind of helping them get better. Did this work help you in your own recovery? Yes and no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's it's funny how that stuff works. I So I, I split. I was working halftime in a substance use disorder clinic and halftime in the post-traumatic stress clinic mm-hmm. outpatient. And, you know, some heavy stuff. And I can remember my boss in the, in the post-traumatic stress clinic saying, if you got any skeletons in your closet, this stuff will pull it right out. And I sat with people talking about their, their traumatic events. I thought I was solid, you know, 10 years sober, doing good, working a good program, all this stuff, and get in there, and it, man, it rocked me. That particular role comes with some liability. You got to really be tight. You know, you got to make sure that, you know, your recovery's on point, and uh, otherwise it can, it really could throw you. Um, That's the thing about uh, 
for me being in recovery. It's not just my stories. I get to watch this happen for other people. And that's probably sweeter than, than the things happening to me is, is watching it happen for others. Um, it's a great gift and uh, powerful. You know, the, you know, for me, that's what recovery is, is being willing to share your story in a way that might be service to others, you know, and, and uh, so just very grateful for that. Those are tears of gratitude. Yeah, certainly. But it's not just gratitude. It's also like there's a heaviness to see the effects of these conflicts continue to play out years and years and years later and seeing that, you know, there's a struggle. The struggle is very real for a lot of people and it's, it's in real time and it's happening now. Um, but just really grateful, really grateful to be able to serve in that capacity. And John is only now truly understanding PTSD, addiction, and recovery. He felt like he reached a new level of wisdom when he went to Florida recently. I actually just had the really great, great good fortune to spend a couple months with a a gentleman uh, down in Florida at a retreat center, Zen retreat center named Claude Anshin Thomas, who wrote a book called At Hell's Gate. And uh, he was a door gunner in Vietnam. And his pathway to peace and to come home was was through a lineage of spiritual practice, mm-hmm. Zen Buddhism. And, and I went down just recently to sit and practice with him and, you know, learning that, you know, I'm not crazy or broken or disordered. It's that I'm, I'm having this, I'm having a different relationship based off these experiences. And, um, and that's helpful. You know, that's helpful. It's helpful to just be okay with that stuff. Yeah, is understanding that that I have post-traumatic stress and that's a very normal reaction to a very abnormal event. John, what do you say to your fellow veterans who feel alone, right? Like that place that you were in before who feels like nobody understands what it's like to witness death and despair, right? Who feel isolated when they drink alone. Like they feel like life isn't worth living. I would say that uh, the greatest days of my life have been after I felt like that. You know, that uh, I'm grateful I did not give up. And I would have missed it all. You know, I would have missed all the joy that has come into my life after getting help. And there has been a lot, a lot. I would have missed it, you know, and uh, so I would say don't give up and reach out for help and that recovery is possible no matter no matter what, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you're at, no matter how low you think you are, your recovery is possible.
John's life has come full circle. He now works as an engagement specialist in support of a national board working with veterans recovering from opioid addiction. And as part of his own continuing recovery, John writes and performs music about what he's gone through. Impatient guest of the VA Sobered up and stayed that way So they gave me a job I guess they saved my ass And now I talk to guys like me They know I've seen things that they've seen But did we fight for truth? Just cheaper gas Give me less thought I wanted more thought that's what I was here for that was before now it's all a mess just give me less if you are or know a veteran struggling with PTSD or substance use you can find information at backfrombroken.org to find out how to get connected with a counselor Thanks for listening to Back From Broken. Please review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find it. Back From Broken is hosted by me, Vic Vela. It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Our lead producer today was Luis Antonio Perez. Find a list of all the folks who worked hard to make this and other episodes in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. Learn about supporting Back From Broken at CPR.org. I always thought I wanted more thought. That's what I was here for. That was before. We were the brightest and the best. Just give me less.